0: I'm Katie Prejean-McGrady, and this is Ave Explorers. We started this series on the Eucharist with one of our Eucharistic preachers, one of the priests who has been assigned specifically to the project of, for the next few years, preaching in various places and spaces about the Blessed Sacrament and renewing a love of the Blessed Sacrament. And over the course of our season, We've given you some little bonus pieces at the end of every episode. I got to sit down with a Eucharistic preacher and talk about one very specific thing. Well, one of those Eucharistic preachers that we had a chance to visit with, I ended up talking with him a little longer than I had with some of the others. Father Malachi Napier is a CFR with a pretty powerful conversion story. And an incredible approach to the understanding of the human person, which is very much a part of the ethos of the Franciscan friars of the renewal, that when we encounter a person in need, specifically when they meet the homeless, the hurting, the hungry, the lost, the person that everybody else might ignore, that they see them as human beings, treat them as such, buy them a meal, have a conversation, learn their names I've had the great joy of spending quite a bit of time with some CFRs. Father Agostino Torres has been a frequent guest on this podcast. And when I was visiting with Father Malachi for this interview, I kept getting this sense that this was a man who knows Jesus and who has been changed by Jesus. The same way that I felt that from every other CFR that I've had the chance to spend time with, but in a very distinct way, what Father Malachi shares, and you're about to hear, because surprise, we're giving you that full conversation. We didn't chop any of it down. We want you to hear it all. He really kind of brings together everything we've been talking about with the series on the Eucharist. The Eucharist is not this thing that we get. It's not this holy object that I have. It's not this experience that I, I just get to reflect upon as if, oh, you know, my spirituality is this, this thing that other people should covet. It's this movement within our lives of an encounter with Jesus Christ after we have received him in what looks and tastes and smells like bread, but is fully and truly him. That an encounter with the Eucharist compels us to love others better. And if we are not compelled to love others better, then perhaps the Eucharist was not received worthily in our lives. Perhaps the Eucharist was not something, someone that actually changed us. I was incredibly convicted after this conversation with Father Malachi, specifically because you're you're going to hear him talk about some very practical ways that we can engage with our brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are hungry, who are homeless. He talks about how sometimes when we encounter people in need, we just ignore them. We kind of look past them oh, I don't have any cash right now. So we don't give them anything or, oh, I have nothing that I can do for them. That'll actually change their circumstances, you know, far beyond these five minutes. So it's not really worth my energy or time. We, we kind of have this blase attitude towards people that we see who might not be asking us for anything except a look, a moment of conversation because God has a great sense of humor the day that I interviewed Father Malachi, I actually ended up running to Chick-fil-A to pick up lunch for my family. And as I was pulling out of the Chick-fil-A drive through which is impossibly long to sit in, it's just never organized. It moves rather quickly once you're in the line, but to get in the line itself takes a bit of time. And as I'm pulling out, there was a man, I've seen him before in our town, sitting under a shaded tree with his sign explaining that he's a veteran of the Vietnam War, fallen on hard times, and he was just looking for some food and some help. Now I was sitting in the front seat with a meal for everyone in my family, two 30 box counts of nuggets, some drinks, a couple of fries, my husband's wrap, and a sandwich for me. And I kind of paused as I was pulling out And so the way I had to pull out of the parking lot, I had to pull out of the parking lot and onto a little, you know, connector street that would then allow me to turn right onto the main drag. And if I turned right onto the main drag to get to this fella, I had to turn right one more time that would kind of put me back into a loop and back into another parking lot. But that's where he was sitting. And I was convicted. I'm not telling you this story because I want you to think, oh, wow, Katie's a good Catholic. I was convicted in that moment because of the conversation I'd had with Father Malachi. This was a conversation we had on a Saturday. I went and picked up lunch for my family on a Saturday, going to mass the next day on a Sunday. And all I could think was, if I'm going to go to mass tomorrow and receive Jesus worthily and be changed by that, then I should start to live like I've been changed by the Eucharist before right now. So I cut that second turn and I pulled in and I pulled out the sandwich that I'd gotten for myself. And I rolled the window down and I happened to have $5 in my wallet. I never carry cash, but I had $5 in my wallet. And I rolled the window down and I, I asked the man if he was hungry and he looked up at me and he nodded and he came over and I said, what's your name? He introduced himself to me. I told him my name. I gave him the sandwich. I gave him the $5. I said, I hope you have a good day. And he said, I'll try to. And I said, I'll pray for you. And he said, thanks. I'll pray for you too. And off I drove. It was a brief moment of interaction. But it was a moment of interaction compelled from this conversation. I hope you're compelled as well to recognize that the Eucharist transforms us and changes us to encounter people as people and to love them the same way Jesus does. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus conversation. The conclusion to our Ave Explorers series on the Eucharist with Father Malachi Napier. Father Malachi, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, joy to be here with you today, Katie.
0: So Father, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, you're a CFR, so you look like a Jedi. How yes. did you arrive there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was not born as a Jedi, <laughs> but uh, born in Augusta, Georgia, second of eight kids in my family. Grew up in a, a charismatic community there called the Aulia community. Had a profound impact on my faith. Unfortunately, I did what a lot of teenagers do, which is rebel against all of that. I just dove into the world and got myself lost for a number of years. But the Lord is the good shepherd and comes like looking for the lost ones and and did that for me. And so in early college, experienced the grace of a reversion to my faith, I call it, which was connected with a sense of a call to the priesthood. And after returning to the Lord and to the sacraments and just experiencing some freedom from addictions that I was struggling with at that point, I just started looking for ways to serve. And that brought me into using my free time to do mission work, which would lead me to New York City with the Missionaries of Charity. And one of those summers with the MCs was how I met the friars. I just met these guys and they're they're like normal, you know, they're like guys that I could see myself hanging out with. And also they're guys that were really just like going for it in their desire to want to follow Jesus Christ, to want to serve the poor, want to share the gospel. So as my discernment process continued, just became clearer and clearer that this was this is where the Lord was calling me. And that was 15 years ago that I joined. Wow. So been a priest for three years. I was ordained in the midst of uh, COVID craziness. So I'm a pandemic priest, as I like to refer to myself. So May 30th, 2020 was my ordination and have served in the U.S. in the kind of tri-state area of New York. And then also for about four, four and a half years in Central America, in our missions that we have in Nicaragua and Honduras. Praise so, God. Yeah. You mentioned
0: a reversion. Can you tell us kind of what brought you back? I think a lot of people know why people walk away, but, but everybody's coming back is quite distinct and unique. What was it that just sparked your love of the faith again?
1: Well, the first thing was, is I was totally surprised by God. I had... Stayed at home after I graduated from high school because basically free room and board, you know, (laughs) I was going to a local state university, but there was one kind of caveat my parents gave me, which was if I stay in the house because I was the second oldest of eight kids, I was going to go to mass on Sunday because they weren't going to deal with the younger siblings like, you know, saying, why do I have to go? He's not going. So I wasn't really living my faith interiorly, but that Mm -hmm. sort of exterior piece of it was still there and was at a mass the end of mass, the priest before the final blessing told us that there were going to be seminarians sharing their witness of how God called them to the priesthood, which totally frustrated me because it meant the mass was going to go from like being 45 minutes to 50 (laughs) minutes long to an entire hour. Ah! (laughs) Right. So I stood up and went to the back and was giving my annoyed teenager look to the pastor. And as they were speaking, I heard in my heart, I mean, I think I don't, I still, it's just kind of like a mystery to me, to be honest, Mm -hmm. but I heard with a clarity that made me look from the left to my right. Just this question was, will you be a priest for me too? Mm. And it freaked me out. And that freaking out, like, I was like, I shake that off. That was like, I don't know what that was, but we're just going to keep on cruising. But it came again. Will you be a priest for me too? Mm. And it just frightened me into an even sort of like deeper diving into the world, just walking away from Christ. And honestly, I hit a rock bottom where I was at a concert in uh, Mobile, Alabama. And in the midst of this wild show and all the partying and everything surrounding it, I had another grace that the Lord gave, which was allowing me to just be stopped right near the front of the stage and looking around and just realizing my heart was empty and the hearts of the people around me were empty. And we were just all smiling because we were all just high. And it was like, this awareness that I didn't belong there and that God had something for me. Mm -hmm. And so I went back home, eventually kind of made my way back to Georgia and a priest who was on a sabbatical from his mission work in Africa, knew my family and he reached out to me and it was his invitation to go to lunch and then talk with him and kind of catch up, which the first time around I kept everything super superficial. (laughs) It was like not going to go anywhere near what's happening interiorly. And then he, again, he's like, Hey, you want to grab lunch again? Let to catch up. See how you're doing. And he had a real heart for like black sheep and for those who were lost. And so that next time around us at the end of our meal, he, he asked me his question was just like, Hey, anything else on your heart? You know, anything at all you want to talk about? And I felt this both deep desire to want to say no. And then also at the same time, this like longing to say yes. And yes was what came out of my lips. So it was just like, uh, yes. And then he's like, oh, hey, let's go sit down. We sat down and started speaking for just a, a few minutes. And then just like my, all this like emotion stuff just started willing up. I just started crying. And he looks at me and he's like, you know, would you like to go ahead and just make this a confession? And it's like, yeah, that's sure. I'm a Ted, whatever, you know. And he throws on his stole and keeps on, you know, is like, you're doing great. Keep going. And I poured everything out. And it was the first time in years that I had made an honest confession and just laid everything out there. And I couldn't raise my eyes to look at this man because I knew he was a holy priest. And I was so aware of all the things that I had done and the shame and the guilt. And so I was just sitting there, just looking at the floor, just like crying. And he just says to me, he's like, you know, that was wonderful. I've always known that you had a beautiful heart. Mm. And like, even the words in themselves, like they're There is something beautiful. There was a power in that moment and a grace that I don't have still words for. I knew with a certainty that like Jesus was speaking to me, that He knew everything about me that I hated and I was ashamed of, and He absolutely unconditionally loved me. Mm -hmm. And that encounter with the love of Jesus in that sacrament of confession freaking rocked my world. (laughs) Like I, I literally went outside and I looked around and was like, "What happened, man? Like where this where?" where the birds come from? Where are the trees? It was just like, <laughs> life was like, you know, I was like on high def, you know, I'd been doing like black and white Andy Griffith. Mm-hmm. And was like, you know, a VR, <laughs> whatever. Like, whoa. But the real fruit of it was, was all of a sudden a capacity interiorly to say no to all these things that had had me enslaved mm-hmm. and to begin to seek the Lord and rediscover my faith, rediscover the rosary, the scripture, daily mass, found out, hey, adoration, that's something. I was really, it was not, none of this was really part of my, Life at that point, and within two months, I went from like the first thing of my day being that I was getting high to the first thing of my day was I was going to mass. Wow! And this is this is the pure mercy of God mm-hmm. and the power of His love just poured out, you know, through through that confession, through that mystery of a call that I like. I didn't do anything, you know, like at all. He just, it just. I was like Matthew. It's like, hey, yo, like mm-hmm. follow me. I'm like, what? Me? You? Uh, yes, you. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was yeah. the that was the initial kind of beginning again, the reversion back to my faith.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that the heart of that is someone saw you, you know, your, your parents saw that, okay, you're going to be home and you're coming to mass. This priest saw you enough to realize like, there's probably something else going on. I'm going to give uh-huh. him permission to come to me. Jesus saw you in that, that sacramental moment and and poured grace upon uh-huh. you which is so beautiful to hear. Cause I mean, I know, I know a number of CFRs. Okay, fairly well, Father Augustino and I are pretty close. And that's always the thing I'm quite struck by. I feel seen in a very specific way by CFRs. The best confession I've ever had was with the CFR at uh, Youth 2000 in Lake Charles when I was like 17 or 18 years old. And this is a podcast, so it's not gonna translate. But like, as soon as the the, the confession ended, he just did this little hand motion and he went all clean. And it was just such a tender bad moment. And I felt really seen. And I, I love that you ended up in an order that sees people after you were really seen and an order that sees people in such a beautiful way. Tell me a little bit about what drew you to specifically the friars and their charism with the poor and, yeah, and giving God's mercy to people that are often just kind of like ignored and not noticed or, mm-hmm. or even acknowledged in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, the, the first encounters that I had with the poor were, were, was through serving with the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's mm-hmm. sisters. Mm-hmm. And they introduced me to like the face of Christ in the poor. And it was border missions, uh, the northern border of Mexico. I went to Tijuana, I went to Juarez. And, and I had these moments of meeting like this presence that I had not known anywhere else. And I remember sitting in this, like this hovel of a home that was built from like trash. that was thrown across the border that was in the, like the, the, the big, you know, garbage dump in Juarez and this old lady that we were bringing some food and fresh water to had us come in and it's like, you know, there's nothing in there. She's got a bed. And then she had like one of those plastic milk crates, you know, and she just like pulled the milk crate out, like put it on the ground, you know. And she patted her bed and said, sit, 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 you know, mm-hmm. see it today, see it today. And then she sat down and she just like put her hands on her, you, know, you can't get, you can't see this, thing, but put her hands on her, on her face. And just like a little girl almost like just leaned and just leaned towards me and just said, you know, tell me about yourself. Mm. And, and I was just like sitting at looking at this woman and I don't know, it was like this, this presence of God that I encountered in that small little shack in a dump in Juarez. And it was like, I was walking out of there and I knew, and I told one of the guys I was with, I was like, I can never go home again. Mm. And he was like, what are you talking about? We're getting in the van and leaving tomorrow. I was (laughs) like, no, like, like it was just this awareness of like, I can't live without this gift of the poor. I can't live without this, this presence of God that is hidden within that mystery of the, The destitute and those who are suffering and and the ones that society so often looks beyond and looks past. And and so with the friars, it was an essential part of their charism, which is this work with the poor that drew me to them because I was like, Where can I do this? you know, with dudes, you know. (laughs) It's like if I was a if I was a a girl, I would have totally been an MC, like, you know, no (laughs) doubt. But I was like, where can I do this with brothers? And so I think for the friars, it was that this kind of like living with and among the poor and not just mm-hmm. kind of like going and checking, you know, like as good as it is to go and serve, like something in my heart's like, I, I can't just go and do this and then go back to my quote unquote normal life. Yeah. Living with and amongst the poor is what I want my life to be. Mm-hmm. And I also have, you know, I've got five brothers, two sisters, the so two sisters are the youngest. So it was almost like growing up with brothers alone. And, and I knew that whatever I did, it was going to have to be with brothers. Mm-hmm. And that's a core aspect of the Franciscan charism this brotherhood, fraternity. And in that sense as well, like a recognition of solidarity with everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their social status, no matter where they come from on planet earth, language they speak, even what religion they might be. And even the way that Francis experienced that moving out beyond humanity into creation itself, like a, a recognition of the mutual belonging. Right. Yeah. And and to be able to look at and be like, yeah, this is my brother, this is my sister. And, and so many beautiful experiences of, of living in that way and walking with people in the places that we serve because all of our missions, our friaries are in neighbor, neighborhoods and locations that are noted for material poverty. So for me, it was like, a, it was just like a no brainer. It was like, you know, like this is, this is what my heart's longing for. These are men that are doing it. And I'd say the last piece too, as well, was like the joyful proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. because there's like these different ways of approaching the poor. And one is, is that I just want to meet your spiritual needs. And I'm almost oblivious to the fact that you're like suffering in front of me with this material need. Mm-hmm. But the other is, is the danger of just falling into being something like another NGO, another sort of like social justice organization that is only seeing the horizontal dimension of their needs. Like, I, I, and that's also Like, so, so here there's like this beautiful integration with the friars mm-hmm. where you are both you know, we have a homeless shelter and we're offering, you know, we're, we're giving shelter to the homeless. We're feeding these men. We're helping them practically. But then we're also like offering the chance to come to daily mass, offering them for those that are Catholic confession, opportunities to learn about the faith. You know, so, so that integration of both aspects of meeting the needs of the poor spiritually and physically is one of the things that I really love about our community. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me how y'all do that, because I think it is a unique thing of the CFRs, that integration of the, we lead you to the Lord as Mm -hmm. we provide for spiritual needs or or, or for these physical needs. But there's not a forcing. Like if a guy comes to you guys Mm -hmm. needing something, it's not conditional. Oh, you have to go to mass before we give you a pair of socks. Like that's not how you guys approach it. I think of the sisters of life. A woman shows up at the front door. They don't just hand her a pamphlet. They make her breakfast. Like they have a tea party. You know, there's this, this approach to the person (laughs) Uh that's super unique in the charism, but what does that, that look like you, Father Malachi walking from say y'all's house to the sisters of life to say morning mass and you Uh encounter somebody like, how, how do you approach that moment?
1: I mean, just happened yesterday. Right. So this guy who obviously he's suffering from addiction, he's got some real needs, you know, And so what I do is the first thing is I just stop and I look them in the eyes because there are so many people who never have anyone look them in the eyes and just like affirm and recognize their dignity that they're a human being. So even it can be a cop out to like throw money at someone. Right. And so like, you know, who are you? Where are you from? What's your name? Shaking their hand and getting beyond like my fear that their hands dirty. I know it's dirty. Like, who cares? There's Purell mm-hmm. everywhere. We know that after COVID, right? <laughs> so like, you can wash your hand later. But in the moment, it's like, is the thing about this person that somehow is superficially maybe not what I would prefer or somehow uncomfortable for me? Like to, to move beyond that, because love always finds a way to, mm-hmm. be able to meet mm-hmm. the person where they are. And so then it's like, you know, what is it that you need? And sometimes they just need to talk. Like there's a lot of times they don't even ask me for something. They just want to talk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they need food. In which case I'm like, Hey, yeah, like right across the street, there's a place I'm going to go get you, a, you know, like a, go to the deli, get you a sandwich and a drink and come back. And, and even more powerfully, if I have the time or moments where I've been able to be like, grab them a sandwich, get myself a sandwich and sit down and eat with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like to have a moment of communion and in that listening, I, I also, you know, am listening and trying to ask the Lord, like what's in this person's heart? Because every human heart is made for God. Every human heart is looking for Jesus Christ. And so I'm listening in their story, listening in what they're saying and asking the Holy Spirit, how has this person already been looking for you? And, and where do you want to meet them today? And so often, you know, at the end, um, it comes naturally enough, especially being a friar, it's sort of a little bit of a, you know, like a, um, a one up on other people that were already, were already like evidently religious. And so therefore it's a much more natural bridge, but just to mm-hmm. say, Hey, is there anything I can pray for you for today? Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly as a priest, I'm also additionally just like graced with being able to offer them an actual blessing, but to be able to pray with them and, you know, and say, God bless you. And even if I don't know how to say a prayer, meaning if somebody's like listening, it's like, ah, what do you do? How do you, you know, it's <laughs> like, you can always just say, Hey, can we say a prayer together? And then pray the, our father, mm-hmm. like there's power right in this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also to stand there as well in that moment and be intentional that I'm saying the word, our father with you, my brother or my sister.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like we're saying our together and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm acknowledging that I belong to you and you belong to me and that we're part of the same family. And there's such a grace that comes with that. I think for people a healing and the being seen, being loved, being treated with dignity. And so, yeah, that would be kind of an example, I guess, of the, the things that happen when you're, when you're out on the street, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And certainly, uh, unfortunately, in the cities across this country, there's been such a, a massive spike in presence of homelessness. And those who are begging, and I, you know, travel for missions, other places in the country. And I just see it. And I'm like, whoa, like there's people mm-hmm. out in intersections and towns and cities that I never had seen before. Yeah. So I think it's a real question that's presenting itself to us in our real lives, you know, and it's, yeah. it's a not just simply walk past, drive past, ignore this cry that's in the heart of humanity that needs love and love is expressed through the concreteness of, you know, the works of the, the corporal works of mercy, but it's mm-hmm. also expressed through the, the deeper response of the spiritual works of mercy.
0: Yeah. Jesus tells us, right. The poor you'll always have with you. And I, I think sometimes, middle-class Americans who are listening to this podcast will think, oh, okay, well, the poor are always with us. So like, they're always going to be there, but it's, it's more like a conviction of like the poor are, are always there. And it's actually like a, a grace that you have the opportunity and chance
1: uh-huh.
0: to change their reality, not necessarily by removing the poverty. Although if you have the means to help with that, you should, but uh-huh. to be present to the person who is,
1: experiencing
0: that poverty because it also yeah. reveals our own poverty in a very real way.
1: Yeah. Cause we all stand as beggars before God. Right. And I often tell people, I'm like, you know, if you just stop for a moment and realize it, like you don't have anything. And St. Francis would say this, you have nothing that you can claim as your own. Mm-hmm. The idea of ownership in the full, like deepest sense existentially is a, an illusion because we only exist because God is lovingly giving us the gift of our existence at each and every moment. We're loved into existence by him. We're sustained by that love. The breath that we're breathing is Mm -hmm. gift. Everything is gift. And so I think part of that is to know and recognize that the church understands, right? The universal destination of goods, like that there's a way in which the gift of creation, the resources that are available have been given to humanity as a whole. And so if I have, you know, something in excess, it's not, and this is interesting. I was a uh, quick story of being in Nicaragua with a, a guy who is from like the one percent families of Nicaragua. So in every poor country, I lived there for a number of years, and you know, there's like these radical like distances between this small group of the population that could be extremely wealthy even by U.S. standards, and then just like abject poverty. And driving with him in his vehicle, and he was taking me to the airport. So he's a friend, a benefactor, and. and just, yeah, it's a friend more than anything else. But Mm -hmm. we're driving along, we come up to an intersection and these people just start immediately descending on the vehicles to like beg you for money and mothers with children that, you know, like evidently like in need. And and so he drops his visor and starts grabbing cash that he has up there in small bills Mm -hmm. and passes it out to this woman. And then somebody else comes and he has, and he just keeps doing this. And I'm just so moved by this. And I'm like, bro. It's like that's. I was like, I was like, Nico. I was like, that's beautiful, man. Just that generosity, kindness to the poor. And then he looks mm-hmm. at me and he says, uh, I mean, it's not charity. I'm just giving them what's theirs.
2: Mm.
1: Like this recognition that, like, it mm. actually belongs to them. Yeah. My yeah. excess is actually it belongs to the poor, and so we have the gift and the opportunity to imitate the gratuitous love of God by giving of what we have to those who are in need, and that's it. actually, it, like you said it's actually a blessing for us, the ones Mm -hmm. who give, but there is a sense in which it's a justice issue as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, there's a real tremendous need here. And I have more than what is necessary. Mm -hmm. Like I, I owe it. I mean, sorry to say it, but like, there is this, it's like, we actually owe like this, this, resource is something that is meant to serve the whole family Mm -hmm. and it would be like sitting down you know to dinner and you know it's like one kid's got you know just like a small little bowl of macaroni and cheese and like everybody else has got their own like personal pizza you know and Mm -hmm. it's like yo like give me can i have a little slice of yours i mean you got like four slices over there can just get one it's like yeah like that's what you ought to do So, so this love that we have for Christ always needs to be expressed in the concrete of our lives, and one of the privileged places that He's given to us to be able to do that with certainty is whenever we love the poor.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you think the Eucharist, and I, specifically, I think this moment of revival that we're in,
1: uh-huh.
0: is is wrapped up in this? Because you can't—you you said it a minute ago—if we all we're doing is providing for material needs of the poor, we're just another uh-huh. NGO. But when there's this component of I'm doing it because I'm compelled by the gospel and I'm I'm challenged and like, I I can't do it well, or I can't do it in that fuller sense, unless I'm going to mass every Sunday, unless I'm receiving Jesus in the Eucharist first, how do you find those two things can be more fully integrated into one's understanding?
1: I think the kind of truism, you can't give what you don't receive, what Mm -hmm. you don't have. And I think also is this, is that like when people begin to understand What's happening at mass, then you recognize that like this is like just the necessary, like foregone conclusion. And I'll give you an example from a quote from Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati, who, being from a wealthy family in Italy in the early 20th century, nonetheless would go and spend his time in the poor neighborhoods of, of Turin, Italy, serving these these sick and poor families. And then people were like, Wow, that's so wonderful what you do. And he says, after the gift that Jesus has given me in the Eucharist. It is a small thing for me to return his love by loving the poor. Mm. And so when we begin to just like stop and wait a moment, like, let me just process. Whoa. Like God just gave himself to me, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I don't deserve that. I don't care how good you've been that week or month Mm -hmm. or day. There is absolutely nothing that we could ever do that would warrant, that would merit, that would make us worthy of the gift of Jesus, very body, blood, soul, and divinity that comes in the Eucharist. And he doesn't just give it to us so that we feel good about ourselves or even that we feel good. The purpose of communion in the Eucharist, right? It is this communion with the body of believers, the body of Christ, but it is about this transformation that occurs through this reception of Jesus into my very self in the Eucharist so that I become more Christ-like. It's this Christification that is Mm -hmm. meant to be happening. Every time I receive the Eucharist, unlike all the other things that I eat, it doesn't become like me. I become a little bit more like him, Mm -hmm. presuming that I'm receiving in a state of grace. And then there's, you know, this, and faith activates that grace in a deeper way as well. But I'm meant to become like Jesus. That's the goal of the spiritual life. And so what does this mean? It means that when I go out from the church, my life is meant to look a bit more like the life of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? The first thing that he reads in that synagogue in Capernaum is Isaiah's prophecy that I have come to do what? Mm -hmm. To preach good news to the poor. Mm -hmm. To come to those who are suffering liberation to captives. So that like my life is meant to be oriented towards the goods and values that were the center of Jesus' life. And who was at the center of his life? We look, those that are poor, that are insignificant, the sinners, once who are broken, that are messed up, the other, right? The Samaritan, the person that we see as the outcast or the enemy. And and there was this way in which Christ's heart was large enough for everyone, but it was also personal enough that each person who came in contact with them, similar to what you were saying before, like knew that they were loved in a way that no one else had ever loved them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And being yeah. seen in that way, is just like, wow. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that the, the connection is, is that if I am the most devout recipient of the Eucharist and I were to have my heart and mind prepared before going in, and I am completely given to my time in mass and the prayers, and then I walk out and I get into my SUV and I drive past the person at the intersection and my heart's not at least moved in some way with compassion, I missed it. Mm. All this love that was given and all this devotion and piety, if it's not reflected in a transformation where my heart grows in charity and love for the poor, and I mean, that can be firstly inward towards the family, but outward towards those who are suffering in the world around us, so mm-hmm. so we're missing something. If there's this disconnect between my daily life and in the particularity, right, of this work with the poor, but also the particularity of my moral behavior, right, yeah. it's like if my life does not reflect the gospel and the way that I live and the choices I make, and I'm sort of doing something that's in contradiction to the, the truth of who we are in Christ and what we're called to, then that's also a disconnect, right? That I'm going mm-hmm. to mass and I'm going in, so there there could be temptations or errors or pitfalls in different directions, but. Certainly with regard to the poor, that there's always this danger and Pope Francis is so good about calling us out of it, of circling the wagons as the church and that the Eucharist revival is about us and that mass and like reverent reception of the Eucharist is about me. And mm-hmm. that this is just kind of this inward focus and that's absolutely antithetical to the nature of love. Mm-hmm. Love always is like, you know, like it's always a movement out from myself, you know, Pope Benedict would talk about it. It's always this exodus, this leaving of myself towards the other. Mm-hmm. And if I'm still trapped in myself, then I need to ask the Lord, like, help me, Lord, like free me, open my eyes to the suffering of my brothers and sisters. Give me a heart for the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me a tenderness towards their suffering and compassion and also inspiration like Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do concretely? You know, mm-hmm. and maybe you're supposed to pull into the gas station, get some food and drink and swing back around to the intersection and pull up to the person and ask them their name and say, here, have this, you know, God bless you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And to, to put flesh on that love.
0: Yeah. I I think we live in a a moment culturally. I think a lot of people know that intellectually, they hear it in a lot of different places and then have a very hard time applying it for whatever reason, maybe it's, there's this scarcity mindset of, well, if I, if I buy for one guy at the intersection, then I have to buy for every single one that I see. And then like, you've othered them and you've, you've started to just kind of categorize people who are suffering as a problem. Or there's this belief that like, well, I'm not going to have enough for myself later. So I I can't give away what I have now. And it's like, we know this is what the Eucharist is supposed to do for us. We have maybe even done it at different parts of our life, but then we hesitate do you think that that hesitation is a feature, not a bug, of the human heart, or do you think that that's a a problem that we're we're facing in this moment of everything is so self centered and everything is focused on my immediate gratification? And how do you think? Like we've talked about this material poverty, but I think there's a real spiritual poverty that people are battling yeah. to be able to respond to this material poverty. Yeah. The friars specifically, I think, are able to address this in unique ways. What would you think about all of that?
1: I think that the heart of the problem is, is really what characterizes this, the current social situation, the generations, and I would include my own sort of uh, millennial crew and, <laughs> and behind, I guess, maybe there's a the right word here and coming in the rear. And it's a problem of there's just like, there is an orphan spirit that exists in the culture and marks our way of living mm. and an orphan spirit creates in my heart, a sense of being alone and having to be the one who provides for all my needs. See, I wouldn't have a concern about whether or not if I give this away, if there's going to be more later, if I knew the goodness of the father
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that he provides for his children. And I think that that's like, there is a spiritual sickness in the heart of humanity it goes right back to the garden can't trust the goodness of god do it for yourself grasp and then as you know in saint francis would say like as soon as you start grasping then you need a sword to defend the thing that you grasped (laughs) and then you're gonna need to build bigger walls to be able to make sure no one gets in to get your treasure Mm -hmm. and like this way of which we're like it closes us in even though it promises us so what are people looking for they're looking for security Mm -hmm. security comes from what it's the fruit of knowing that there's a love that's holding me that I can rest in. And this is the love of the father that's made flesh for us, invisible in Jesus Christ. And it's continually poured out into the church through the sacraments, the gift of the spirit. So there's a need to maybe recognize like where Lord, do I not trust that you're enough? Where am I not aware yet of the truth that you are a good father for me I think also another thing as well is, is this a problem with the, the mass communication, right? Is it like the, um, we all have like emotional thresholds. I can only like feel so much before I just shut down. Mm-hmm. Then you show me another picture of a kid who's like skeleton and needs food and I just can't emotionally absorb it. And so there's a, there's a danger with this like overexposure to mm-hmm. everything that's happening all the time, which makes our hearts a bit numb to the humanity that's right before us. And I'd say in response to this question of like, well, what do I do? If I give to him, what about, there's like, you only have this moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Literally, this is it. And the only thing you can do is in this moment, ask the Lord, like, Lord, what do you want me to do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you to like live in a relationship of love with the Lord. He actually responds to that. There's some times where I can't do anything, but I can still roll down my window and ask a person's name and Mm -hmm. say, God bless you. And I have never in, you know, whatever, 15 years of being a friar, I've never had anybody like, just get like angry at me for looking at them, smiling and asking their name.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that doesn't cost you anything except about 30 seconds. Mm And that always can be given whether I'm supposed to do something more than that, or whether I can in the moment. I mean, this is something, if you live in a city, I would, I would suggest this. And I've done this is basically like, get yourself a little, like, you know, a a little bag or something. And like, I'll just like, I'll have inside my bag just like things that I know I could give away on the street. When I meet Mm -hmm. somebody, if you know you're going to be meeting people next time you're at the grocery store, buy a bunch of chewy granola bars, not Mm -hmm. the crunchy ones because a lot of people (laughs) on the street don't have tea. People don't think about that. Don't offer them apples, offer them bananas. Some practicals, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have teeth or there are a lot of them missing. Crunchy, hard food's not good. Don't get them crunchy peanut butter, get them creamy. (laughs) But you could do that or make a few sandwiches. Like I know I will see people consistently. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to have, or in your car, like in the little console, like Mm -hmm. throw some granola bars, throw, you know, like, you know, a couple little drinks or something. And so I'm driving around, I may not use them today, but when somebody comes up, I can say, how are you doing? I can offer them something concrete. Yeah. That I can also offer them that deeper need. And this is something Mother Teresa spoke about. Is like, she said, like the greatest poverty that exists in all these places that she had been, the worst hell holes on planet earth. And she's been in each of them. The worst poverty she's ever met is the poverty of someone who doesn't know that they're loved. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is that This is what the heart of each person is looking for. And that's because we're all made for the love of God made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. Mm. And so we bring that presence. So going back to the Eucharist, you've received Jesus. He's now in you. Now you're walking out there into wherever it is, you know, your neighborhood, your city, your, you know, the streets, the grocery store, and guess who you're bringing with you now in a way that you weren't before you just received him in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. and guess what every human heart is looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you have something to offer and bringing that presence and bringing that love. It could be at times, perhaps I would dare say like a poverty of faith and awareness. Like I think that as church, as Catholics, as Christians, in the face of all of the sort of secular barrage that's about us, we, uh, this, this temptation to doubt what we have to bring and to offer to people has entered our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to evaluate what we're bringing to people based on secular standards. When you dare to trust that Jesus actually is what people are looking for and that's the disposition of your heart and you live from that and you love people from that place, like miracles happen. Yeah. People's lives are transformed and even like physical miracles. I've seen that a bunch too, like mm-hmm. physical healing. Like God does this stuff. Yeah. He's real and his presence Mm -hmm. in the Eucharist is real, but it's meant to effect in our lives, a real transformation, which means I should never walk out of the church and live my life the same way as I was before I walked into that church. Mm -hmm. Because each time my heart, please God is just a little bit more like the heart of Jesus. Yeah. It's it's filled with a bit more compassion, Mm -hmm. maybe a little more patience, maybe some forgiveness where I wasn't able to forgive before perhaps some detachment from some sin that was really like kind of holding on to me in a way before every Mm -hmm. time we receive the Eucharist, it's meant to make our hearts more like the heart of Jesus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I would dare say the project of revival
1: Mm -hmm. in the first
0: place, you know, that's, that's why this is happening because there's been this understanding that, that yes, it's a, it's a lack of a theological understanding. Yes. It's less mass attendance, but also this, This this unawareness that we have this this awareness we've lost of what it's supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. in our lives and and in the world around us. Father, we we end our episodes this season by asking the question. I forgot to warn you ahead of time. So this is truly like a spontaneous. We ask everybody to imagine you get to meet somebody and have just a minute with them. And this is actually probably something that happens all the time for you. You just meet people Mm -hmm. and you only have a moment but you have one minute to talk to somebody. You get to tell us who that person is. Are they a fallen away Catholic? Are they a faithful daily mass going Catholic? Whoever they are, wherever they happen to be in their journey of faith, you get a minute with them to tell them about the Eucharist. What Uh, do you say? Who are they? And and what do you say?
1: I would say fallen away because there's so many that are in that position of feeling like they don't belong. And I think the the thing that I just, it's like, you're not alone. Mm. Like you're not alone. Like the Lord sees you, knows you, loves you, longs for a relationship with you. And he's calling you home. And and he's never gonna stop doing that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't matter where you are or where you've been on the journey, he's always coming in search of you. Like his heart is just like burning with love for you. And that's that's such a great love in his heart that he's gonna say, I'll even be so simple as to come to you as what appears to be bread and wine, because I just wanna be with you. Mm-hmm. Love you, mm. and that love that's in the heart of Jesus—it's for you.
0: Yeah, ah, so good. Father, are you on Poco a Poco? Because if you're not, you should be. Uh, I'm, gonna, no. I'm gonna put in the request <laughs> that you need to be yeah. added to the lineup of the the Friars podcast. I know it's you know you guys aren't online as much as others, but is there any yeah. place where you, we can? Read your writings or listen to your talks. You're one of the preachers. Maybe you're coming somewhere where folks. Yeah, can
1: I mean, as far as if this is coming out in June, I'm going to be in Nebraska, June 20th, 22nd. Okay, IASIS is there doing some nights of Eucharistic revival yeah there's definitely some videos out there on youtube and stuff but i've never been on poco poco I, <laughs> well, I mean i think those guys are rocking it there's so much good fruit right
0: they're so good they're so good i'm, I'm oh, ragging yeah. on them I, all of you yeah. guys need to just each get like an episode because you're oh, so yeah.
1: thank you katie you're i appreciate so that father yeah. it was
0: great to chat with you thanks for joining us
1: Likewise. god bless you
0: It was a great joy to get to chat with Father Malachi and to visit with all of our incredible guests over this season nine episodes that I am incredibly proud of. Father Craig Vosick, Sister Alicia Torres, Dr. Tim O'Malley, Perpetua Charles, Catherine and Scott Whitaker, and their little girl Gianna, Heather and Jake Kim, Joel Stepanic, Bishop Andrew Cousins, and of course, Father Napier, along with all of our incredible Eucharistic preachers who took time to join us, Father Meyer, Father Anastos, Father Laramie, Father Briscoe, Father Spitzer, a real dynamite crew of folks who sat down with us to talk about a love of the Eucharist. And I know here at the end, I want to make sure that you know why we did this series. We did this series because we love Jesus and we want to talk about Jesus in the source and Summit of our faith. The most significant thing we can do as Catholics is receive the Blessed Sacrament. It changes our lives. It changes the world. And we are in a moment right now of revival in this country. Revival of a love of the Eucharist, bringing back to life an understanding of of Jesus Christ present to us in the Blessed Sacrament, that, that pushes us, that compels us to go forward and to preach the good news with our lives, to share with the world that we are different because of this Eucharist that we receive. The National Eucharistic Congress is in a little over a year, July 17th to the 21st, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Tickets are on sale now. I will be there. I'm sure many of you will be there. Ave Maria Press will be there all in pursuit of joining together in what will be probably the most epic family reunion of Catholics we've seen in a very long time in this country, but an incredible opportunity to receive the gifts that the Lord wants to give to us and send us forth on mission to be able to preach the gospel, to be able to give witness to Jesus in new ways, that the Eucharist is the most significant thing in our lives, is the most significant thing we can receive, Do we live that way? Do we share that with the world in everything we do and in everything that we are? We'll see you soon. We're taking a little break this summer. We'll re-release some of our most popular episodes in July and August. We'll be back with a whole lot more in a few months. We'd love it if you'd share this podcast, if you'd tell people all about it, if you'd give it some ratings and reviews so that more folks can find it. And we'll see you soon here on Ave Explores.